The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. On the next day, when the people who remained after the feeding of the 5,000 saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. I cannot remember if it was Annie Dillard or Anna Lamont who talks about if we really knew what we were doing on Sunday morning, we would come to church with our flak jackets on and our hard hats. Because there's a way spiritually, she says, that we're sort of playing with dynamite all the time. Or to, to frame it another way, I'm reminded of high school chemistry class. I had a wonderful chemistry teacher in high school, Mr. Myers, and he stood about this hall and um, had a great sense of humor and this wonderful voice that, you know, could, could sort of cut through lead, you know. What? he would say, if we got a little bit off track in our experiments or in, in balancing our stoichiometry equations. What, he would say, his other favorite word we would always love to quote was ions, ions. <laughs> so when we were experimenting with our ions, you know, we would always stink up the room and that part of the school. It was great fun. It was great fun. But I raise that just to say there's a way in which we are all part and participants in a great divine experiment. And it's an experiment that John keeps coming back to over and over and over again in his telling of the gospel. And it's an experiment that the crowds keep coming up against as they follow Jesus from the hilltop across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, wondering what this guy is all about 
And of course, Jesus is his usual enigmatic self. They ask him a direct question, just a simple fact-based question. When did you come here? And of course, he instead gives them a theological treatise in response, which I'm sure just made their day. But this sense of participating in a divine experiment, I think, is something we sometimes overlook, particularly here in the West, where Christianity has had a long history. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was at Rikyo University with a friend and colleague, Shintaro David Ichihara, who's a priest in the Nippon Seiko Kai. And he and I were at seminary together, and then he helped some with the Japanese services when I was serving at Christ Church in San Francisco before he went back to Japan. And he now serves as chaplain at Rikyo University, working with um, some of the students there. And he also serves in All Saints Chapel, which is a beautiful worship space right in the middle of campus. And as we gathered for Sunday school, I looked up and there was this gorgeous bronze statue of Channing Moore Williams, who was the great Episcopal missionary to Japan in the 19th century and helped found Rikyo University. As a matter of fact, I didn't realize this until I posted it on Facebook, but I know one of his descendants, who is an Episcopalian who lives in the Midwest and has known me since I was coming up for ordained ministry. But anyway, that's all off to one side. But the thing that Shintaro talks about is that in Japan, where there's a highly organized society and a much stronger sense of boundaries when it comes to private life and public life, and also a lot of conservation of family tradition, there are many people who get involved with the church who are never baptized. They come right up to that sacramental threshold and they stop. And it surprises us in the West a little bit that they do that. And to this day, you know, less than 1% of the population of Japan is baptized Christian. And yet you look around and you see these Christian wedding chapels all over the country. That's the old joke in Japan. You're born Shinto, you're married Christian, and you die Buddhist. But that's, <laughs> that's another sermon for another time. But, but, being right up against that threshold. And these are people who are not just dabbling in the life of Christian community. They participate in it regularly. But they stop right at that sacramental threshold. Why? Because they get the Gospel of John in ways that we probably don't in our more comfortable Western mindset. They get that the sacramental life is playing, if you will, with dynamite. And it is a huge thing to cross that threshold and be baptized in Japanese society. A huge thing. Jesus confronts the crowds today, if you will, with their consumerism. We thought we invented it, right? We didn't. We've just perfected it. We've magnified it. You know, we've turned it into assembly lines and turned it into stock markets. But consumerism has been with us forever. What is consumerism about? It is about satiating our desires for today. Really. That's what it boils down to. And the whole world, particularly the developed world, has gotten very good at that. We're very good at the life of instant gratification and of building whole industries and whole societies around 
meeting our basic needs and desires. This is not unlike the crowds in today's gospel. Jesus confronts them with the reality that they've come after him, not because they're after anything more than just to have their bellies full again, as they did last week. And in a subsistence society like the one in which Jesus lived, it made sense, really. They found a guy who feeds them. They're going to go after him. They want more. But Jesus says, no, you don't want enough. That's what he's telling them. That's what he's telling us. And you see, this is the great question behind the divine experiment. Are we more than simply the desires of our belly? The desires for things? The desires for power and control? The desire for whatever blank you'd like to fill in, whatever you'd like to put in that blank, I should say, are we more than that? That is the question. And that is the sacramental question as well that Jesus poses. Not unlike the question he poses, some of you will remember, with the woman at the well in Samaria, where the narrative is almost exactly the same in fact, she says in a different way precisely what the crowds say. There the discussion is about water from the well. But she says, sir, give me this water always. Just as the crowds say, sir, give me this bread always. There's a reason very, very deep in our spiritual life why, very close to the top of the Lord's Prayer, we say, give us today our daily bread. That is to say, all the desires that we have for today and all of our needs, we leave in your hands, O God. Why is that? So we can be free of them. Or at least free enough to see over the edge of our existence a little bit and enter into what you might call the divine experiment. That entry that I think in some ways many people in Japan understand better than we do. And so they take it more seriously sometimes to go over that edge into a new kind of life. If you listen to what the world is telling us, it is telling us all the time that we are no more than simply our desires and our wants and perhaps our needs. But Christ has come to us with a different message. This is an old story. Jesus, in his conversation with the crowds today, goes back to the Torah and talks about the Israelites wandering in the wilderness where they receive manna from heaven. Do you remember that story? And the manna you get in the morning can only be used for that day, and if you try to keep it overnight, it will spoil, unless it happens, of course, to be the evening of a Sabbath. Then it will keep for two days. But... The point of the fact is the manna is just there for the needs now. 
not for everlasting life, a point that Jesus is touching on in his teaching. Manna was temporary. It was designed to get the Israelites through the wilderness from this place of slavery and to their homeland. It was not meant for eternal life. The bread, Jesus says, that I am offering you is different from manna, qualitatively different. So much so, it calls us out of that ancient problem that we see in Torah that goes all the way back to the garden and Adam and Eve partaking of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You remember that story too? This sense in which desires are meant to be gratified and satisfied, and that is all that life is. And God keeps whispering to the ancient Israelites, Jesus is saying to the crowds, and God is telling us even today that life is more than that. Much more, in fact. So there is a way in which when we gather for a Eucharist, we are gathering around God's test tubes and God's stoichiometric, stoichiometry equations. God is saying to us, like my chemistry teacher used to say, what? We are playing with dynamite. We are engaging in the divine experiment, if we dare. If we dare come to the altar with our hands outstretched or splash about in the waters of baptism, we are saying there might be something more than just our desires, than just our needs, that life may be greater. This is what Jesus means when he talks about believing in him. Belief is more than just a head trip. It is giving ourselves over to this new life. And it is why John makes no bones about what the sacramental life looks like. It is like being born again. It is like crossing a threshold into completely new life. Something totally different than the life that the world understands or trades in. Every time we gather, we are asked, are you ready? Are you ready to engage in the divine experiment again? Are you ready to become the people whom God has called you to be? Very different, perhaps, than the people you are, and even far different than the people you imagine you could be. People given for a world in need. People given for a world that the divine loves so deeply. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. 
You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G We wish you God's peace and we hope to greet you in person very soon.